Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the Snooker in Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. I'm in Bolton. And, uh, well, I, I, I'm doubtful whether this episode will ever actually be heard because I'm not saying... I don't want to start by complaining about things. I'll rephrase that. I want to start by complaining about things. The uh, the Wi-Fi in the hotel, it's got to be said, is not the best. It isn't. Uh, put it this way, if you, if you want to send an email, you need a stamp. That's how slow it is. So uh, it, it might take a while to upload this this edition. Uh, hopefully, you know, by the end of the Champion of Champions, you'll hear it. But anyway, well, let's, let's look up, not down. We're here, or I'm here, in Bolton for the Champion of Champions. Now, I'm not going to... This podcast will not be a preview. And the reason for that is I've already done one with Neil Folge. You may have heard it in the week on Twitter Spaces. If I had any te- technological knowledge at all, I would uh, upload it to the podcast and you could listen to it. But uh, otherwise, I'll put the link in the podcast description. And if you haven't heard it, you can listen for free. So it's there. We go through every match, every group, and come to a few predictions. So no point repeating all of that. Um, spoiler alert, both myself and Neil feel, and uh, history sort of backs this up, that this is the perfect event for Ronnie O'Sullivan. He's won it three times. Um, and it's sort of an event where he really gets himself sort of uh, up and, and plays his best stuff, a little bit like Hong Kong recently. So... We both kind of made his, him favourite. My dark horse was Karen Wilson. Um, he's in a tough group with Neil Robertson. But anyway, it, it all unfolds on ITV4 in the UK in the coming days. So this will be a relatively uh, relatively short podcast. Uh, but uh, we've had some emails, which I'm going to I'm going to plough through. We start with Tom Milliard. He said just a couple of questions this week. Firstly, regarding the changes to the UK Championship format, while I, while I actually prefer the concept. So let's just explain before I read this what the changes are, those that don't know. So previously, in in last few years, the number one seed has played the number one to eight seed, two plays one to seven, etc, etc. So everyone comes in in the first round and the seeding is heavily weighted towards the the top players. Uh, It's changed now to be like the World Championship. Um, So the top 16 will be seeded to the last 32 at the Barbican in York. Everyone else goes to Ponds Forge in Sheffield and over four rounds try and come through, but their place in the draw, there'll be a, uh, a draw made like the Crucible. What's happened here is, is quite straightforward. The BBC have three events. The World Championship speaks for itself. The Masters in recent years has become a really big deal. 
and they clearly felt the UK Championship wasn't punching its weight. There were comments from players saying they thought that other tournaments, the Tour Championship in particular, was now ahead of it. So clearly they want it built up again. They want it to be more of a prestige event, and they want it more on a par with the other two that they show. World Snooker have a very close relationship with the BBC, and they have agreed to do exactly that. So it's changed. Now, a lot of people will say it'll be uh, it'll be better this way. But let's just remind ourselves what Tom says. He says, while I actually prefer the concept to the 1 versus 128 system, my concern is that surely this skews the one-year ranking list and gives an unfair benefit to top 16 ranked players regarding qualifying for the Grand Prix players and tour events. Perhaps I'm wrong, but that's how it appears to me. Well, I think the answer to that, Tom, is yes and no. Um, it only is. I think it's only advantage if you win your opening match, because if you lose your opening match, you get nothing. So those players who qualify for York in the last 32, will get 10,000 ranking points. But the top 16, if they lose that match, will get nothing. If they win the match, they get 15,000. So in terms of qualifying for the, the first event, the World Grand Prix, that match is absolutely huge. As players, I mean, Ronnie O'Sullivan's won. He's not in the top 32 at the moment. So on that list at the moment, he's not in the World Grand Prix, where, of course, he is defending champion. If he were to lose in the last 32 of the UK Championship, that would be a massive setback because he'd only then have the Scottish and English Opens to qualify. But if he won... The 15,000, he, he would rock it, all puns intended, up the list. And, you know, obviously if he went deeper in the event, we were bound to see him in the World Grand Prix. So it's a, it's a big match. Arguably, for the rankings, actually, it's bigger than the first round match at the, at the World Championship for the top 16. Because worst case scenario there, really, if you lose, you might drop out the 16. But that doesn't really mean anything when the new season starts. The, the, the benefits of the top 16 are UK Championship seeding, Masters place, which comes up after the UK, and obviously a crucible seeding for the World Championship. Um, so this is a huge because it might have Masters connotations. Ryan Day 16 at the moment. So if he were to lose his first match there, it would open the door for someone to overtake him. So I think the answer to your question is it's only a benefit if you win that first match. If you win that first match, obviously, to be on 15,000 ranking points, you're in great shape. But if you lose it, you know, you could be in big trouble. Anyway, Tom's second point. This is partly related to topics spoken of long ago on here. I was wondering why, unlike most other sports, snooker does not have its own home. I'm not talking about a huge arena for the World Championship, but surely a large economic outlay would pay back in the long term. Specifically, I'm thinking of a venue that could be used for the following. Offices for WST, WPBSA, a museum, equipment, stroke gift store, table and signs and equipment storage. 10 to 20 tables to be used for coaching, qualifying events, amateur events, closed door events. A location in Birmingham, Leicester, Nottingham would make it easy for most of the players to go to the venue and would save the organisers to have to scratch around for venues for qualifiers, Canuck, exclamation mark, and smaller events. A viewing galley for a few hundred people with different layouts available would make things easier for the organisers and remove the need for subcontractors greatly. What are your views on this? Feasible or the cost is just too great? Well, this nearly happened, Tom. Um, we're going back about 25 years under the Rex Williams regime. They did actually look into a place in the in the West Midlands, and I'm not saying that one would have been right or not, but some sort of venue, had they done this, you know, back then, it would by now pay for itself, I'm sure. They do have to try and hire various places, and there's always a cost to that. Now, whether they would go down the route now, I don't know. Um, whether they would think they could justify the outlay, I think it would have to be, like you say, it would have to be, for all the things you list, it would have to be their base, so they'd have to uproot from Bristol, or some of them work, of course, at Matchroom in Essex. Um, and you'd have to have all the things in it. But certainly a permanent venue would make sense because, of course, none of the venues we play at are actually 
snooker venues, they're just repurposed for that. It does seem odd in a way that they didn't. There was talk years ago of buying the Preston Guildhall, but that never happened either. Um, but yeah, it, it would make sense. But I guess the initial outlay, you would have to judge whether that would be kind of uh, kind of right. Um, there's not. I'll be honest with you. There's not really been any talk of it that I've heard. So I suspect uh, I suspect it won't happen in the short term. Now then, who have we got here? Uh, Richard Ray. Okay. And he's gone through a few things. <clears throat> he said, I really enjoy the podcast, was interested to share my opinions on the following recent events. Mixed doubles. And this is mainly positive stuff. It's good. Mixed doubles, great event. I've heard a few of the correspondents on the pod mention doubles wasn't was pretty boring and play wasn't very exciting. I personally thought the quality of the matches was pretty good and the change from the individu- individual signals... <laughs> singles. <laughs> so I can't blame the internet for that. It's just my reading. Uh, individual signals. I've said it again. <laughs> The change from the individual singles was a nice one. Hopefully people are still following this. Uh, great to showcase the women in the game, who are probably not at their male, male counterparts level, but are still exceptional players in their own right. The Hong Kong Masters, brilliant event. I totally agree with what you mentioned on multiple occasions, that snooker should follow darts and hold smaller invitation events in new venues around the world with the current top players and a few local talents. The Hong Kong Masters was essentially this. The quality of the matches was amazing. Some of this, I felt, could have been to do with slightly more generous uh, table conditions but it's the same for both players and the high scoring made for great entertainment British Open success and I love the draw format quality tournament throughout I enjoyed seeing the underdog Ryan Day come through at a great final session in the final the thing I really enjoyed was the random draw format I personally would prefer all of the 128 events to follow this format I understand the seeding tiered system but I think it's really dis- disadvantageous to younger new talent you hear constant stories of young players getting on the tour and then falling off I think a lot of this could be down to the current draw format. It must be pretty daunting to start your career and then constantly be faced with first-round matches against the likes of Ronnie O'Sullivan and Neil Robertson. It must be pretty soul-destroying. Personally, I think if the draw was random, some of the lower-ranked players would start winning a few more early rounds, which would build up their confidence. This could lead to them starting challenging the elite more regularly. We're just on that, uh, Richard. Uh, Of course, with the open draw format, they could still draw the top players. I mean, Andrus Petrov, the new player from Estonia, drew... Mott Williams in the first round of the British Open, so it can still happen. I guess it's more likely that uh, you know you, you you'll be kept apart, but um, you know you're probably fine. You still be drawing them. I think personally, I would leave it just for the British Open because that's actually what makes that event special. The fact it is an open draw, I know the shootout is as well, but in terms of a sort of major ranking event, that is one of the, the sort of um, the, the things that attracts people to the British Open. I was thinking about this though, you know, in terms of the the, the low rank players. And in a way, the answer is staring us in the face about how to bring more people through, because it's already happened. We talk about the, the class of 92. We, we specifically talk about Ronnie O'Sullivan, John Higgins and Mark Williams. They came through when the game went open. It went open in 91. They came through in 92. And it was sink or swim. Hundreds of players. You had a lot of qualifying rounds to get through. But obviously, the standard across the board wasn't that high. And you could sort of earn your apprenticeship, as it were. By getting through those early matches and, and you know proving your worth, maybe that's the way to go. We hear constantly of people saying the, the tour should be cut. Maybe we should go the opposite way and open it up again. Now there are massive logistical problems. Although it does lead back to what Tom Milliard was saying in, in our previous email. Actually, if we had a permanent venue, this could this could help because you would need a Norbrecht Castle Hotel style venue to get all the matches played. And with more ranking events now, and it's kind of doubled the amount there were back in '92. It's doubtful, actually, whether there'd be time in the calendar to play all those matches. But 
that would be a better way of bringing players through than cutting the tour down and making it even more elite. We've seen matches this season where players down in the 80s and 90s have put in really good performances. Um, and, you know, if we cut the tour, they'd be lost to us. The, the argument for cutting the tour is you make the World Snooker Tour elite and you can promote it better, and, but you must have a, a well-funded secondary tour, which I understand, but everyone wants to be on the main tour. Ronnie O'Sullivan came through winning 10, 11 matches in, in tournaments. Uh, a lot of people fell away, but at least everyone had the chance. You just turn up with a queue. If you could pay your entry fees, you could play. And well, what, why not look at that again? Um, again, there's no suggestion that will happen, but you kind of never hear people talking that way. It's always the opposite way. Oh, we should cut the tour. Um, I'm not so sure about that. You know, That's how we got all these top players in the past. It's by actually just saying, OK, you want a chance? Here's a chance. Let's see how you get on. And a lot of them fell away, but the elite few, the best few, made it. Anyway, uh, Rich's last point, he said, the Northern Ireland Open, hats off to Billy Bobbins. It's great to see Mark Allen, redemption story continuing. Sounds like he's really turned his life around off the table. And also the weight loss. He comes across as humble and a great chap and good luck to him. Finally, I'd like to end on a quick question. Does Dave Hendon play snooker? And if so, to what standard? My assumption is you must play the game as you clearly have a great love for it. And I assume this originates from not just watching but also playing. You also, in your excellent commentary, show a knowledge of the nuances of the game which would have come from playing a bit. Well, yes, I mean, I, I did play when I was younger. Not to any great standard. To be honest, I never wanted to be a snooker player. That was... <laughs> People assume everyone who plays snooker wants to be world champion. It's not the case. I played socially. I enjoyed it. I never had any aspirations that I was going to get to the level to be a professional snooker player. But as I say, that wasn't my interest anyway. I wanted to be a journalist, and I, and I became one. Um, but yeah, I have played, but not for a long time. And uh, I've got no great desire, to be honest, to, to resume my career. Uh, now, thank you to uh, Russell Wilcox, who sent me a clip from YouTube. And this is... Uh, this is from the uh, Paralympics uh, back in the 60s. And uh, snooker, of course, was one of the founding sports in the Paralympics. Now, people might not know this, but uh, it was actually in the Paralympics as recently as 1988 in Seoul in South Korea. So it's kind of snooker has never been in the main Olympic Games, but it has been in the Paralympics. It'd be great to see it return. Um, but, yeah, this was a clip uh, of uh, a successful competitor arriving home to great acclaim. Um, having done well in the snooker, uh, just uh, a, bit, a lot of people say, well, "Why didn't you look this up before you started?" But I'm now looking it up, and uh, you see this internet. <laughs> this internet is it, this is like Eddie Charlton against Cliff Thorburn. Slowed down this internet. Michael Shelton, 1965. Okay, so he, say, he says he is celebrated by the mining community of Newstead. He's well welcomed home from Tokyo, uh, where he's won the gold medal. Uh, lovely stuff, actually. So thank you for that, Russell. And uh, I'll, again, I'll put if I remember, I'll put um, a link in the in the um, description of the podcast for people to look at. Our good friend Jara Warman from Duluth, Minnesota. Do you ever do snooker predictions? I'd love to see how you perform. And he put a link to an event prediction. I don't in in, in general, Jara, because I've had the, a bad history with it. Really, a few years ago, uh, the World Snooker website they did a thing with all the Eurosport commentators around Europe. And uh, well, I was a bit like, have you ever seen the Andre Previn sketch on Morecambe and Wise? I was a bit, it was a bit like that. I picked all the right winners, but not necessarily in the right order. So if you wrote out the list of winners for the season, they were, I got all the names, but not in the right tournaments. Mark Selby uh, saved my bacon by winning the World Championship. I guess this would have been 2017, um, which was the last event. I did tip him for that. Otherwise, I would have finished last. Um, uh, 
below all the other other commentators. So yeah, that, that, that's it really. Um, I, you know, I'm not a great sort of studier. Of, some people will. Dave Tindall, our good friend, will will look at trends and look at all sorts of form. I'm, I don't really go for that. I, I, if I tip someone, it's usually just a gut feeling and usually wrong. Let's be honest, um, because I know Dave uh, before the World Championship did a long sort of uh, dive into sort of trends and and he came up with Judd Trump, who of course got to the final. So uh, yeah. But uh, I, I can't be bothered, <laughs> basically. Uh, now, uh, Dan writes, I don't know what you think, but I really do not like World Snooker's ticketing system. Maybe you get comp tickets and haven't had to deal with them. Well, I don't get comp tickets, but I can get in with a media uh, badge. Anyway, he said, seat tickets are pretty useless as usual. The Kazoo UK Championship qualifiers. World Snooker says all-day tickets are £10. Yet when you go through to seat tickets and add one to the baskets, it's £11. So a booking fee of £1 is added, presumably, as they're cut. Fair enough. However, it should say £11 in the first place. Then there is also a transaction fee of £1.60. It would be fine if you could buy multiple tickets, but one transaction on one transaction, but you cannot. That's in capitals. But you cannot. So you have to pay £1.60 per ticket rather than per transaction. Same happened at the World Qualifiers until I complained it was unfair. So they don't learn or care. Standard practice is to have a basket system and a transaction fee should only be applied once. The clue is in the word transaction. World Snooker is supposed to be a multi-million pound professional organisation. This is a shambles. The new UK qualifying system is great and I bet the qualifiers at Ponds Forge will be entertaining. I probably won't bother now as it's hard enough trying to find a train that runs and a hotel that doesn't cost a fortune without ticket issues as well. I enjoyed the podcast. Keep going. Well, thanks, Dan. And you're, uh, from what you say there, I take your word for it, that is a bit of a shambles. Um, you should absolutely not have to pay a transaction fee on every ticket. Like you say, you should have a basket and then you pay a, a, just one fee at the end of it. Uh, because otherwise, like you say, they're saying it's for £10, but actually... You know, you, the tickets are essentially, from what you're saying, £12.60, and uh, you're having to, to pay that fee for all of them. So I'm sorry to hear that. I will, I, what I will do, I'll forward that on. Maybe I should have done it before the podcast, but I'll forward that on to our good friends at World Snooker Tour and see if they have anything to say about it, because um, it doesn't sound very good. So, uh, yes, that's what I'll do. Uh, now, we asked, uh, well, I asked a few weeks ago about uh, the ex- viewing experiences from outside the UK, because we talk a lot about... Um, you know the, the, the sort of British coverage, which is very available, but it, it seems it's not quite so uh, available in every part of the world. And, and, and James Cook, another American correspondent or correspondent in America, said, "I've just listened to the latest episode on a drive back from pumpkin picking in New Jersey. Yes, the most important American festival is upon us. No, not Christmas, not Thanksgiving, Halloween. Just jumping in. There's a, there's a great, uh, and this is thirty years old now, but there's a, a great Fran Laurie sketch about." <laughs> About essentially the uh, the difference between America and Britain when it comes to trick or treating, which, which uh, you might want to look up on YouTube. I won't bother because it'll take three days to, to get it to load. Anyway, James says uh, one thing you raised has prompted me to write. You asked what's the snooker viewing experience like in other parts of the world. Well, and I'm sure your regular correspondent in Duluth will agree. In the US, it's pretty dismal. To start with, WST Matchroom Info is just plain wrong. The info suggests that in the US you can watch via DAZN. In my experience, DAZN is the place to watch UFC and boxing, and whilst there are references to snooker on the site, I've yet to find a live stream to watch. I tried during the British Open, to no avail. I had success watching Eurosport via VPN, but since my subscription ran ran out, I can't renew, as I don't have a UK credit card anymore, and they block you if you don't have a territory-correct credit card. I tried Discovery+, Plus, but found that the US version doesn't have any snooker. I can, however, catch, skin, and cook a rabbit, 
while surviving in the middle of nowhere due to the plethora of survival shows that are to be found on Discovery+. Plus. ITV with a VPN is a terrible experience. It's laggy and you have to sit through more adverts than actual snooker, plus not many events on ITV. Then I went to Matchroom, but frustratingly, the US is not a territory that's covered, so I fired up the VPN to pretend I was in Mexico, bought a subscription, and then that actually worked to an extent. For the World Mixed Doubles and the British Open, it was great. Matchroom carried the ITV feed with commentary for both events and no funeral ads. However, for the Northern Ireland Open, there was a feed, no commentary, which made it tougher to watch. So it's difficult to watch snooker in the US without the determination to make it work, and therein lies a missed opportunity, I think, to expand to new markets. I realise the various broadcasting rights are intricate throughout the world, but surely the experience could be more streamlined for online enthusiasts in areas outside the UK, at least. I would welcome your thoughts on this. Well, thank you, James. My thoughts are a great sympathy, and, and what you're saying is true. You know, you, you've made a lot of effort there to try and watch, and with mixed success. A lot of people will just give up, won't they? They can't get it to work, they say, oh, well, I won't watch it then. And that's not going to spread interest in snooker in America or anywhere else. So I'm, I'm disappointed to hear all of this. And when World Snooker list you know, the how to watch and and where you can watch in various countries. Maybe what they need to do is actually check that people can watch them in these territories, not just sort of assume it's all there for them, because from what you're saying, it's not. And that's uh, disappointing. What I will say is the UK qualifiers are coming up, and this is going to be announced formally this week, but I don't think I'm out of order um, for our international listeners to say that will be available on Facebook, Okay, So that will be free on Facebook. and you'll be able to watch that there. Not the main event, <laughs> but the qualifying, and that's including the two Judgment Day uh, productions. They're doing a Judgment Day like the World Championship. You can watch it on there. So hopefully that will be less sort of faffing around for you. And uh, you'll be able to enjoy you know, some good quality snooker coming up next week. As for the Champion of Champions, fingers crossed, you say the ITV events you can watch on there. So hopefully uh, you'll be able to... Uh, you'll be able to... Um, to be able to watch it on Matchroom, Matchroom Live. Now, on a similar, well, on the same note, um, David Burney in Canada. Uh, I'll come back, you raise another issue, David, at the start, but I'll, I'll just deal with this as we're on a, on, on a discussion point about this. Over here in Canada, we use DAZN services to watch the great snooker, and what a blessing it is. Before that, we had to go to shady websites and hope they could find a connection. Sometimes the connection would drop, or it would just keep loading and never play. It would be great if DAZN could save the snooker matches on their platform, so some of us could watch the snooker when we get home from work. It has happened before that after a live match on DAZN concludes, it disappears and goes off into the Ethernet somewhere. Hopefully, DAZN can fix the problem, but they still give us Canucks live snooker, so we're eternally grateful. So there we are, DAZN in in Canada seems more reliable than in America. Uh, Anyway, it was interesting listening last week. A listener was talking about the World Championship finishing on a Monday. I believe I'd mentioned this very subject on the podcast, and as well, when I was at the World Championship this year, it created a discussion during the Steve Dawson press conference to which he replied, it's tradition. As the game grows and gets more global, perhaps this ending Monday date will move to a Sunday night. However, I, as a Canadian... I felt it would be great to watch the final on Sunday, not on a work day on a Monday. My tide might be turning. A snooker is very niche, and it would be great advertising for the sport if people globally took the Monday off, leaving employers with the thought, what is this snooker thing my employers are going to watch? Just thinking out loud. Snooker is in a great place, and we love the game very much, and it's great it can be seen all over the world. So David is saying it might create a, a tidal wave of people saying, you know, where's it, why, why is no one at work today? Ah, the snooker's on. Uh, they can't find it on the internet, but anyway, it, it is on. <laughs> uh, he says, on the last note, on a rating scale of 1 to 10, 1 being poor and 10 excellent, how would you rate the maple syrup? Well, David very kindly gave me authentic maple syrup, 
Um, and I have to tell you, it was very nice. I would, I would rate it 10. Having said that, uh, sort of maple syrup you tend to get in Britain, you know, you wonder what it is exactly. Uh, <laughs> it, it ain't Canadian, let's put it that way. So I haven't got much to compare it with, but I, I'm very grateful to, it's quite sweet, but I suppose, you know, the clues in the, in the question, in the name rather. Now, David mentioned, I meant to mention this at the start, but David, uh, sorry, I meant to mention this last week and forgot <laughs> with that great planning that the podcast is renowned for. But uh, David said, because of course this is the snooker scene podcast and it is, tangentially linked to the Snooker Scene magazine. He says, it's great to hear the wonderful news that Snooker Scene is going to continue on in publication. It sounds like Nick Metcalf is going to be the editor. Are you going to have any, any involvement in it? Well, of course, Clive Everton was editor for 51 years. Um, he took the decision to retire. He was also the owner and, uh, you know, was, the magazine wasn't doing particularly well financially. So he took the decision to retire in uh, September and... We wondered, would that be it for the magazine? But Curtis Sport, who uh, they actually produced the tournament programmes for the for the three Triple Crown tournaments, um, they've come in as the new owners. And Nick Metcalf, uh, who we know, of course, from Talking Snooker podcast and the Metro, uh, big snooker man, he's going to be the editor. And I will be writing a column for it. I'm happy to say I've had uh, conversations with Nick and uh, he's asked me to to be involved and I would uh, be delighted to, to stay involved with the magazine. I've worked for it for 23 years. Um, it won't be the same and that's a good thing. Change is good. Um, I think there'll be maybe more features that people will enjoy and a bit more sort of colour and, you know, obviously Clive did it his way but a new editor will do it his way and I'm also happy. I think it's good that new people are coming in. I know Nick's got other, other people he's going to be bringing in to write stuff. That's good. Things should change. Um, and a new sort of set of eyes on it and new new ideas uh, I think are good I think it's 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 a good thing that the magazine is not only continuing but will change and hopefully people will will come back to it because I know a lot of people it's been very special to a lot of people in terms of the way to cover the history of the game and uh, you know all the sort of in particular the sort of players coming through their first appearances their, their whole sort of trajectory of their careers has been charted and that, that will still happen I'm sure but we're also going to I think you know, try and do more interviews and more features. Nick can talk about that. Obviously, he's the editor, but uh, I'm I will be involved. Yes, and I'm very happy to to still be involved. Now, Ayana, I believe how, how this uh, this person's name is pronounced. Written a few times. I've I've always called him Ina in the past, but Ayana is is apparently the the pronunciation from Ireland. Uh, I'll make one final point about venues. Just coming back to how you close the podcast before the announcement of the Champions Champions draw. Apparently, I said last week, as with Hong Kong, in some countries there's only one event or two, or at the most two. So the audience is going to go to those events. In Britain, we have 14 events, so the audience is going to be spread around those 14. Therefore, some will be better attended, I guess, than the others. That, for me, is exactly the point. Speaking of my point on my last message, if there was just one event in the Republic of Ireland, I would make it there. I'm on the other side of the country from Dublin, and it would pull all snooker fans across the Republic to the venue, even regardless of transport links, etc. But obviously having good transport links is important. For me, snooker is just too heavily weighted in favour of tournaments in the UK. It still feels parochial, albeit with global aspirations. I'm not saying that hosting a tournament, ranking or otherwise, here in Ireland is the solution, but I do think snooker needs a bit more imagination to market it truly globally, so it can be taken more seriously for a slot in the Olympics, for example. I don't see a major risk to move one or two those 14 UK-based tournaments to Dublin or Brussels, 
or any other major international city where there is a known fan base, or to New York or Sydney with massive populations in a small catchment area, has to be it has to give a better impression to the global viewership than yet another tournament dumped on Milton Keynes. Uh, well, what I would say about that is I, I would like to see new events. I, I wouldn't necessarily want to see one of those dragged abroad or dragged here and there because you want to establish them on the circuit. And if you're going to go to Ireland, let's have the Irish Masters, whatever you want. But let's have new events. Um, I do think we're coming to a bit of a crossroads with China. You know, Wuhan, where the COVID pandemic began, they've gone back into lockdown. We thought in sort of 2023, things might start opening up. There's actually no sign of that happening. And this season, we've sort of crossed our fingers and hoped things would change. They haven't. I don't think we can have another season like this one next year where we have fewer tournaments, fewer earning opportunities and less of a chance for the game to grow globally. So World Snooker Tour, I think, and I'm sure this is happening, I'm sure it is happening, but they'll be looking at next season and thinking, OK, we need proper contingencies. If we can't go to China for another year, we need tournaments in other places. It's as simple as that. We can't just sort of have these six, seven-week gaps because... What does that say about a professional sport? So we've done it this season, and I understand the reasons, but I think next season, you know, contingencies need to be drawn up. If we can't go back to China, where do we go? And maybe we need to start dipping our toe in some of these other places and trying to, you know, get the interest that we know is there because we get people writing from around the world. I want to watch the snooker. I am watching the snooker. There is interest. Um, it's about making it cost-effective to go to these countries. So it may, again, be smaller tournaments, and that won't please the rank-and-file professionals. I do feel that, you know, some of those PTC-style PTC events maybe could come back to plug the gaps. Um, it won't be big money, but they'll be playing at least. They'll feel like professional players, because at the moment, some of those guys, you know, have got a long time, six or seven weeks, if they're losing a qualifier before their next match, and that's not great. Um, not great actually for mental health as well you know they're supposed to you know it's particularly the new players you turn pro I'm a snooker professional great that's that's my living now uh, when's your next match oh two months <laughs> that's not great so I think the, the, we're sort of coming to a crossroads with this and I'm sure World Snooker Tour accepts that, that th things need to change and next season will be interesting we want to go back to China but if we can't clearly something needs to be conjured up from somewhere not easy uh, it costs money um, but you know otherwise Another season like this, I'm not sure it's going to really get anyone's sort of juices flowing. We'll leave it there, I think. As I say, uh, you can listen to my chat with Neil Folds on the Champion of Champions that we did this week. Uh, I'll put the link to that. I'll put the link to the YouTube video. I say all this, this is assuming I can get this episode um, actually on the streets. I may have to just walk around Bolton with a rolled up newspaper just repeating everything. So at least people have heard what I've had to say. Uh, it'll be a very bespoke service. Uh, it's a big few weeks we've got Champion of Champions which is always a great tournament UK qualifiers start actually on Saturday there's a bit of an overlap but then uh, as I say next week uh, after the Champions we, we've got uh, the, the run-in with the Judgment Day coverage will be ongoing the Wednesday, Thursday um, and then on one day off the Friday the draw's on the Thursday afternoon so there will still be some matches to be completed but I think they're making the draw between sessions there's going to be four matches on Thursday night and then on the Saturday we're in uh, the Barbican in York for the tournament. So, yeah, a lot to look forward to. Um, do keep your emails coming in. Snookerscenepodcast at mail.com. Snookerscenepodcast at mail.com. I appreciate all of them. And uh, including those ones I accidentally deleted a few weeks ago. <laughs> and that's it. Uh, we're proud members of the Sports Social Network. Um, 
yeah, that's it. So enjoy the Champion of Champions. I will make an effort now to get this uploaded. And as we always say, goodbye bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.